Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. Honesty is essential for the health of a relationship. Agree or disagree? Were you honest about that answer? Okay, I'm gonna be honest with you and just say, I think we all struggle with being honest from time to time. Am I the only one? Now, you may disagree with me, and that's okay, but I'm gonna prove it to you. Okay, so have you ever made a quick visit to a friend's house? Perhaps you were returning their Tupperware, you know, the one that you finally got around to clean. And before you left, they said, hey, we, uh, we're gonna have dinner. Would you like to join us? And you politely say, oh no, I'm okay, thank you. But your friend persists and they say, oh, come on, you, you must be hungry. And, but you say, no, I'm fine. We actually have dinner prepared at home. Okay, if you've ever done that, you know you were not 100% honest. You have dinner prepared at home? What dinner? The chicken from two nights ago? You were fine, you weren't fine, okay? Because as soon as the door of your friend's house opened up, you smelled that amazing food, it was almost tangible. Your stomach growled so loudly, your friend's neighbor could hear it, come on. Am I the only one who does this? I'm trying to work on it, you know, and not just with food, but with other things too. Like for example, when you see a friend at Costco and they ask you, hey, how are you? The expectation is for you to respond by saying something like, I'm fine, how are you? But I think to myself, how many times have I said I'm fine right after angry texting my wife? How many times have you said I'm fine when actually your life was a mess? Not being very honest. But I'm not advocating that you tell everyone at Costco all your life struggles. But I am saying and asking, are you willing to tell someone? And this struggle with being honest about how we're doing isn't anything new. It's not a 2022 problem. It's a human problem. And I generally believe that if we don't address this issue, we will miss out on the best that God has for us. And so today we're gonna see how God had to deal with the same issue, specifically in the book of Malachi. If you wanna join me in Malachi, it's the last book of the Old Testament. Take your time finding it. And as you make your way to Malachi, I'm gonna do a quick recap of what's happened so far in the Old Testament. So let's start way back in Genesis. God creates Adam and Eve and they have a perfect relationship with God, but they, but they choose sin over him, and sin enters the world. But God fixes that. He shows them love, grace, and mercy. Then the earth is filled with more and more humans. Sin runs rampant, and God fixes that by destroying the earth with water and starting over with Noah. And then he chooses the descendants of Abraham to be his people, the Israelites, and he gives them a set of laws, but they continue to break them over and over again, even though God sends them leaders and judges and kings 
and profit to help them come back to God, but it doesn't work. God even allowed his chosen people to be taken captive by foreign nations so they can learn their lesson, but they don't learn their lessons. None of them work. So God raised prophets like Haggai, we saw that last week, who encouraged the people to rebuild Jerusalem. Maybe this time, once they rebuild Jerusalem and they can restart, now they'll get it right, but they didn't. In fact, we're gonna see that they were more broken than ever, but if you had asked them how they were doing, they would have said, we're fine. And so God raised a prophet named Malachi to remind them and show them that they're not fine. And so that's where we begin today. Before we dive in, let's pray. Lord God, you know all things. You know all the things that we would face today and you know what we'll face this week. You're not surprised by anything we do. You know the times we will choose sin over you, yet you continue to love and pursue us. We want to hear from you today. So we ask that your spirit would speak to us through your word. Help us to understand it, but also to live it out. We love you and we pray all of this in Jesus' beautiful name, amen. All right, let's read Malachi chapter one, verse one. It says, a prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. Let me pause right there and ask, who's Malachi? I have no idea. And we don't know much about this guy. All we know is that God chose him to speak to his people. Now his name is significant. His name in Hebrew is Malachi and it means my messenger. But what's interesting about Malachi is that it's a, a bridge uh, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It's pretty much these words are God's last attempt to instill truth in his people before 400 years of silence. After this book, the next time you hear from God is when Jesus is born in Bethlehem on Christmas day. And so knowing that puts more weight on the words we're about to read. Check out verse two. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Malachi is an interesting and unique prophetic book because if you read it, you'll, you'll find a series of disputes between God and his people. And God starts this conversation by reminding them, I have loved you. In other words, I have always loved you. I never stopped loving you. All these years that you failed me and broke my laws, I continued to love you. And how do they respond? How have you loved us? Because from where I'm standing, God, I don't see any examples or evidence of your love for me. And so throughout the rest of the book, you'll see God showing them examples or better yet, showing them some mirrors so they can see for themselves their brokenness. And even though they're broken, God never gave up on them. And so today there are many mirrors in Malachi, but today we're going to see three of them and God showing them these mirrors every time they said, we're fine. So let's look at the second half of verse six. It is you priests who show contempt for my name, but you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? There it goes again. You see the dispute there? And he explains in verse eight, 
when you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? So God asked them, how are you? And they said, we're fine, we're great. But God said, no, you're not. Look at your priests. And they said, what's wrong with our priests? And he showed them a mirror and said, your leaders are corrupt. See, these priests, they were familiar with the law. They knew that they were only allowed to use unblemished animals for sacrifices, but they didn't care. They just wanted their jobs to be easier, so they accepted, you know, whatever weird animal they, you know, the people brought him, and, and they would accept any pitiful offering. They were corrupt. Turn to chapter 2 with me and look at verses 7 and 8. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So not only were these priests disobeying the law of God, they were teaching the people to do the same. And so it seemed like these these priests were holy and godly, but really they were just trying to check off their religion box. And God was saying, no, you're corrupt and you're leading my people far from me. So God then moves on to reveal more brokenness in his people. Verse 13, another thing you do, you flood the, the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Now jump to verse 16. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. And so God, once again, he asks the people, how are you? And they say, oh, we're fine. We're, we're going to church and we're sacrificing our animals, doing what we're supposed to do. And, and God said, no, you're not. Look at your marriages. And what, what's wrong with our marriages? He shows them a mirror and he said, your marriages are broken. From an outside perspective, these marriages looked fine, but they were crumbling. These men were married to faithful, godly wives. They were like high school sweethearts, but these men were bored. And so they divorced their wives simply because they wanted something new. They didn't feel in love anymore. They didn't take their marriage vows seriously. Their marriages were broken, but then these whack job husbands had the audacity of coming to the temple, crying before God, wondering why their life isn't working out because they were failing in every area of their life. And they wondered, like, I'm trying to do everything. We're, we're giving animals and, and we're, at least I'm married to one wife, and, but even though it's the wrong wife, but I'm, we're trying to do everything. God, you're not listening. Where are you? And God says, 
the reason why it seems like I'm not in your life is because you've kicked me out of your life. And not only that, not only do I see right through your fake worship, you're committing violence towards your wives. And I could almost hear those men saying, I never laid a hand on my wife. And God says, you were violent towards your wife when you were unfaithful. You were violent towards your wife when you didn't take your marriage vows seriously. You divorced your godly wife and married an ungodly woman. So you dare to complain to me that I'm not helping you out and I'm not trying to fix your life and accepting your worship. Just be glad I didn't wipe you off the face of the earth. That's how much I love you. And so once again, God showed them mercy. Now look at chapter three and what God says in verse eight. Chapter three, verse eight. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet yeah, you rob me, but you ask, how are we robbing you? So they argue with God once again, and he continues, in tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. They were saying, we're fine. We're, we're religious. We're doing everything we're supposed to do, going to the temple, giving sacrifices. We're fine. And God said, no, you're not. How are we not fine? And he turned another mirror. You don't trust me with your money. You don't trust me with your money. See, the people weren't giving, and so they couldn't pay for the upkeep of the temple. It was in disarray. And the temple workers had to get second jobs to make ends meet. And the Israelites, they had their reasons. They had their reasons. Oh, budget is tight, God. You don't understand. I have student loans. I have mouths to feed. I have things to do. It doesn't make sense for me to financially to, to give money and to give animals and then also to invest in my crops. It doesn't work financially. And God reminded them of something that I think we all need to be reminded of today. Hey, remember that I'm the one who takes care of you. Every cent that you earn is because I've allowed you to earn that cent. You're growing crops for a living? Wonderful. But guess who makes your crops grow? You're still breathing and surviving because I keep blessing you, yet you still don't trust me. If only you learn to trust me in every area of your life, including your budget, then you would see the best that I have for you. So I read Malachi and I thought to myself, what does this have to do with any of us? I mean, we, we live in 2022. Surely all the issues we go through is nothing. They're nothing like the issues the Israelites went through. Okay, let, let's test that theory and look into the mirrors ourselves and see what we can see about us. Are you ready? It's about to get real up in here, okay? Let's look into these mirrors. When you look at this mirror, what do you see about us. I think we see that our leaders are corrupt. 
It breaks my heart to read another article about some pastor who was unfaithful to his wife. It breaks my heart to read another article about some spiritual leader who used to be a Christian and now they have, quote unquote, discovered that Christianity is a joke. It not only breaks my heart because that affects the way the world views the church, but it scares me because that could be any of us. Anyone here right now, anyone watching online, we are one decision away from ruining our lives and leading other people astray. We continue saying we're fine. Pressures in our everyday life can cause us to want to cut corners, to to get ahead. I think that's what the priests in Malachi's day were doing. They were going through the motions, but God knows when we go through the motions. And guess who also notices? Our children. If you're a parent, I know you already know this, but let me just remind you, our kids will notice when we're just going through the motions. How parents view the church will help shape how their children view the church. Children know how serious we are about God. They see the patterns and notice when we skip church because the weather is perfect for Dorney Park. They notice those things. When we live as if it's okay to worship God halfway, then the people around us, our family and friends and children will begin to say, well, maybe it's okay for me too. We're all leading someone and I think God wants us to come to a place where we can admit that we need help. What can we see when we look in the mirror? I believe we see that our marriages are broken They're not fine. It doesn't matter if you've been married for 50 minutes or 50 years. There are things that we all have. We all have some brokenness. There was a couple that approached me one time and, and said, our marriage is great. We've been married for years. We never had a fight. And I looked at them and said, hmm, you're cute. I, that's, that's, that's what I wanted to say at least. Broken marriages. Now, we, there's, a, there's always something going on more than what we allow others to see, right? It reminds me of when um, I try to take a family selfie with the family at home. So, I, I, you know, I'll illustrate to you. We go home and we're like, all right, family selfie, come on. I grab my, my daughter, Melody, and Melinda's right here, my wife. And I'm like, all right, all right, get it right, okay. Stay cheap, no. We have dirty uh, dishes over here. Don't want to make people think we're slobs, okay? All right. Nope, that's not a good angle. Dirty laundry. Melinda, what have you been doing all day? Okay. Now, this is perfect right here. Okay, say, no. Now, Melody is crying and fusty. All right, turn on Sesame Street. Elmo knows what to do. Let's go. Okay, now we're good. One, two, three. Is this Facebook worthy? Looks good to me. And we post it, and guess what everyone online sees? They see a perfect, smiling family. They don't see the dirty dishes and dirty laundry and the fussy baby and the argument that I just had with Melinda. Have you ever done this? Have you ever, did you ever look at a picture on social media and think, goodness, I wish my marriage was that good. I wish my husband could Vacuum? <laughs> Why can't my family go on vacation and 
and get along like they can. (sighs) Allow me to burst your bubble there, friend. Those people aren't perfect. Those marriages need work. Those families need help, whether they're fooling themselves and pretending that everything is okay. God knows. And if you're listening to this and you're single, please don't tune me out, okay? Perhaps someday you'll get married. So let me tell you a little secret. When you're single, you're a sinner. When you get married, guess what you become? A married sinner. (laughs) Temptation doesn't get easier when you get married. In fact, in certain ways, it gets more difficult. Marriage doesn't fix your brokenness, it exposes it. So my suggestion to you is, even before thinking of getting married, I think it would be wise, it might be good for you to raise your hand and say, I don't have everything figured out, I need help. It's what I had to do before making marriage vows to Melinda. I I started seeing a counselor so that the healing process could begin, all the brokenness I was going through. So I'm begging you, if you're struggling through singleness, find someone and say, I'm not okay. If your marriage is broken, tell someone you're not fine. If your family needs help, don't sweep it under the rug. Tell someone that you're not okay. It's okay to not be okay. When we stop saying, I'm fine, and we start to look at the mirror and we're honest, we'll find that we don't trust God with our money. Jesus said something amazing in Matthew 6, 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What does he mean by that? Well, let me ask you this question. Think right now in your mind of something that you value, okay? Think, think of something that you value. Maybe your car, okay? Now, when I say value, I don't mean like something of high price. What I mean is like, it's one thing to buy a car and another thing to buy a car and name it, okay? <laughs> like if you've named your car, you're not crazy. It just might mean you're not normal. <laughs> so when you, when you name your car, right, you treasure old Betty and you will buy the best tires and you will use the best oil, and you will pay whatever it takes for your car to run smoothly and look fantastic. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When we don't give to God and invest in his kingdom, are we treasuring the kingdom of God? If we don't value the church, maybe our heart is not in it and we're just going through the motions. And listen, I know this is a challenging topic to hear. It's hard to preach it, especially today when everything is just so darn expensive. I mean, come on, when five below is actually five-ish below, <laughs> it makes it a little harder to give. But hear me out, the point is not your money. That's not what God wants. He wants your heart. When you treasure and value the things that God loves, your heart will be in that and everything else will follow. Your time and your skills and your abilities and your money. 
So when you create your monthly budget, is God included in that budget? And I don't say that to guilt trip you into giving because God doesn't want that either. Be there, right? When, when you give to the church and you don't want to, that's not being authentic. That's being dishonest. It's going through the motions. But hear me out. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're not giving, I think it's worth at least thinking through why you're not giving and if you trust God with your money. So God is holding up these three mirrors so that we can see our own brokenness. So I, so I ask you, what mirrors is God showing you right now? What disputes and arguments have you been having with God lately? And what are we going to do about this issue with honesty? Well, thankfully, Malachi helps us out by revealing two groups of people. Check out verse 13, chapter three, verse 13. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord, yet you ask, what have we said against you? Now jump to verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. Now jump to verse 18. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. So God makes a distinction between two groups, right? One group is arrogant and the other is humble. And they're both saying all these words, but God looks past those words and he knows what's truly going on. He knows who they truly are. So here's the truth we need to remember today. God sees the arrogant and the humble. We can fool ourselves and those around us, but we can't fool God. Because one group is saying they're arrogant and they're saying, I'm fine, what are we doing wrong? And God doesn't listen to them. And this other group, it says that they fear God and they talk to each other. I love that. In the Hebrew, when it says talk to each other, it gives us a sense that they were leading and guiding each other. They were reminding each other of the things they learned about God. See, God listened and heard that group. Both of these groups were made up of people who were broken, but they each will have very different experiences when Jesus returns. Check out chapter four. Chapter four, one and two. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble and the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. Happy Sunday, everyone. <laughs> it gets better. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. And so for the arrogant, those who are just going through the motions, who, who think that religion and, and good works can save them, the day Jesus returns will be a terrifying day for them because they will realize that going through the motions doesn't work. But for those who humbly fear God and follow him, the day Jesus returns will be the best day of their lives. The arrogant will be punished and the humble will be rewarded. That sounds harsh, but here's the truth. God punishes and rewards what he sees. 
He sees when we're just going through the motions. Church, religion isn't enough. Having a grandmother who used to be a devout Christian isn't enough. Having certain beliefs just because I've always had those beliefs isn't enough. God sees through all of that. And if we're not willing to say, I'm not fine, I need help, then our religion, our worship, and our giving mean nothing to him. But fortunately, God also sees when we're humble before him and when we're willing to say, I don't have it all together. And maybe you're listening to me and, and saying, I don't, I don't even believe in God, Tim. I don't know all this Jesus stuff. Let me just say, we're so glad you're here. And it's good that you're asking. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to be authentic. Authenticity matters. And so it's okay to say, I'm not fine. And we have people at prayer works right outside these doors to help you, to pray with you, to help you wrestle with these questions you might be having. But I'm gonna leave you with this. Let's all close our eyes. I'm gonna ask you a question and you don't have to say it out loud, just say it in your heart. I'm gonna ask you a question and I want you to be brutally honest with yourself and God. Don't hold anything back, just respond in your mind and your heart. Here's the question, are you ready? How are you? God, we want to be honest with you right now. How are we? Some of us are going through a great season, but some of us are not okay. We pray that you would give us the courage to share whatever answer we thought of with someone. Give us the courage to share with someone at prayer works or talk to someone on our shepherd team or, or to see a counselor. Help us to give, give us the courage to make that appointment this week to talk to someone today. We may not be fine, but we know that you are the son of righteousness with healing in your rays. So we ask that you begin that healing process as we become more honest with ourselves, others, and you. We need you now more than ever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.